brings to you from the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, and from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I am the voice of one, crying in the wilderness of this world and life. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make every crooked path straight. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. In our broadcast uh, uh, the last time, um, we began to look at what divine service is. And we were not able to complete the big, so we just did the first part. Uh, by the grace of God, we shall be doing the second part in this broadcast today. But a brief uh, run-through of what we looked at in uh, part one of divine service. We said that divine service, in fact, our focus was basically to look at what divine service is in um, its entirety as it were. We defined it as what happens when the Holy Spirit comes upon an individual and empowers that individual, enabling him to serve God in a manner that is acceptable to God. The coming upon of the Spirit of God on a person, an individual, male or female, so that he will be able to serve God as God desires uh, to be served. That is an acceptable manner. And I think one of the crucial things that we noted was that there are certain things that are required in divine service. We looked at uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, where we made clear that it is not possible to serve God along with mammon. Indeed, you cannot serve God and serve another master. You must have only one master, and that master has to be God. If God is God, then serve him. If it's someone else, then serve whatever you want to serve. But don't think that you can serve God and serve something else. And so we, we, we stated clearly that three things are important. One, your undivided loyalty to God. Two, your undisputable commitment to God. And three, your absolute love uh, uh, for God. They are crucial in divine service. We went on to say that divine service is not doing what you think uh, uh, you want to do or what you like doing or what you think will delight God. But what God wants done, that is doing the will of God. We also noted that divine service is not doing something that others are doing. It's not replicating what others are doing. Those others who are doing whatever it is they are doing may indeed be doing what God has called them to do. But if it is not something that God has called you to do, then it is not divine service. Divine service is doing what God has specifically asked you to do. There are many facets of a particular uh, 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 work that God want, would want people to do. Your own facet is what you should focus on. Don't worry about what others are doing. Just focus on what God has called you to do. I think at that time we looked at um, when, when the Lord Jesus had told Peter what Peter should do. And then Peter saw John coming and said, what will this man do? And the Lord told him, what is, that your, what, what, what is your business with what he's going to do? You focus on what I've called you to do. Mind your own business. We also said that divine service is not just about miracles, signs, and wonders, which is what many people think divine service is all about. Indeed, we noted that John the Baptist worked no miracle, and yet he was called by the Lord Jesus Christ, the greatest of men born of women on the earth, which would have included Abraham and so on, so before the coming of the kingdom by him, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we must be careful about this issue of thinking that because somebody is doing Miracle signs and wonders, he's doing divine service. No. In fact, I think we noted also that, divine, that this miracle signs and wonders can be replicated by Satan if God allows it. After all, when Moses was in Egypt, we know that the Egyptian magicians were able to replicate some of the things that uh, Moses did until the time that God said, okay, enough is enough, and put a stop to it. And the people and the, the magicians themselves noted and said, what has happened now is the finger of God. So let's not get ourselves into thinking that I must walk miracle signs and wonders, otherwise it will not be divine service. And that's why many people are getting involved in things that they have no business getting involved in. They say they want to serve God. 
So they, 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 they have a church going. And because they, 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 they don't seem to see miracle signs and wonders working, you find them going to all kinds of places to use esoteric means to rot things that have no basis with God. How do you use something that is so corrupt and bring it into something that is supposed to be divine and insist that that is from God just because you want people in the place? That's not divine service. God is not, God is not so interested in the number of people in your place as in whether you are doing what he asked you to do. We must remember that the overriding thing for God is that you are serving him according to how he wants to be served. Forget about what men are saying. Human beings have a way of, you know, coming up with their own yardstick, their own criteria for how to serve God or what it means that this person is serving God. So they see somebody sitting over a church of hundreds of thousands of people. They say, oh, that fellow is serving God. That fellow is anointed. They see somebody else in a hut who has maybe two or three people around him. They say, oh, that fellow, don't worry, he's wasting his time, he's not serving God. But the reverse may actually be the same. The Bible makes it clear that what is pleasing or pleasant to men is abomination to God and vice versa. So let's be careful. Let's not get caught up into those things. Then we, I think we, we ended up by saying that divine service is anything that we do that brings glory to God. It brings glory and honor to God, including martyrdom. So God might ask you to do something that will lead you to be killed. It is divine service because his glory is not, it doesn't mean that God is, um, what's the word now? Is somebody who delights in the death of a believer. No, but he is going to use that at some point in time, perhaps to win more souls. The, the, the story is told of two young ladies. One was married and uh, had a child. The other was a, a, a young teenager. And um, that was in, in, in Carthage of old. And um, they, were, they were believers. And so the Romans came and arrested the two of them and told them to confess, to, 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 sorry, to renounce Christ. But they refused. In fact, the one who had the child, they brought the child and showed her that you're not going to see this child. Though. Why don't you just renounce Christ? She insisted that she was not going to renounce Christ. They were actually um, uh, killed. The, the, the young teenager and the young uh, mother, both, of, both girls were killed. And what it, what it did in Carthage, the, 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 the authors uh, wrote, was that it got the men and even the women in Carthage to begin to wonder what was about this Jesus Christ that these two girls who had a whole future in front of them would give up to die for. That was how Carthage was won for Christ because two people gave their lives. It is what brought salvation to you and I. The Lord Jesus Christ gave up his glory in heaven and came down to the earth to pay a price for our sins. And as a result of his death, the death of a criminal, as a result of his death on the cross, you and I have salvation today that we can boast of. So it is the same thing. God can call you to do that as a service to him because of the many souls that he wants saved. Divine service is not about you particularly, but about what God wants you to do. And in doing that, there are many people involved at the end of the day. Souls that will be saved, souls that will not be able to say, I wasn't told, and so on and so forth. So today we'll continue as we look at another aspect of divine service. Divine service is something that originates in and from God. It originates in God. It is from God. It is inspired by God and it's implemented by God. That is what divine service is. If, if that service does not originate in God, it is not divine service. 
If it is not from God, it is not divine service. If it is not inspired, that is the Spirit of God is not involved in it, it is not from God. If its implementation is not in the power of the Holy Ghost, it is not from God. So divine service from start to finish is of God. You cannot think of something in your head and then say, this is how I'm going to serve God and tell God, now I'm serving you. No. God knows what he wants you to do. Indeed, when he saved your soul, ab initio, he knew where he wanted you to be. And so all the things that he's passing you through is to prepare you for that place of service unto God. What, then somebody might ask, so what, what is the essence then of me? All God needs for you is that you are available and that you are obedient. That's all that God requires of you, that you are available. Make yourself available. If God wants to go to uh, City X, you are available. If he wants to go to Desert Y, you are available. If he wants to go to a hinterland where they are even killing people, you are available. That is what matters. And that you are obedient to him. You go wherever he wants you to go, how he wants you to go, and so on and so forth. We've, we've, we've seen in scripture how people went to, to, to the place where God wanted, to, to, wanted them to serve as prisoners, as slaves, in different forms. But if we don't understand this, then we will get embittered and not understand that this was just God's means of transporting us to the place of service. In Acts chapter 26, Acts 26, from verse 13 to 19, we want to read Paul's testimony of how he was called. You will recall that Paul was on his way to persecute Christians. In fact, not just to persecute them, to actually arrest them, take them to Jerusalem and have them prosecuted and executed. So I'll, I'll read from verse uh, 12. Let me read from verse 12. This was when he stood before Agrippa and uh, he was giving his testimony. He said, While those occupied, as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest, at midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me, saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. So I said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. This is Paul giving his testimony. He was on his way to do what he thought was the right thing to do in serving God. He thought he was actually serving God by persecuting the church until God met him on that road to Damascus and shone his light upon him and began to speak to him about what it was that God wanted him to do. And you could see the origin of uh, uh, Saul or Paul, the origin of Paul's ministry was on, on, on this road to Damascus. That was the origin. And it came from God. It didn't come from Peter. It didn't come from the church. It didn't come from the elders. It came directly from the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Paul, that's why Paul could 
could say that what the, the authority of apostleship that I have, which by the way means the one who is like an ambassador or a messenger, a special messenger of Christ to a group of people. That's what the word apostle actually means. One that is sent forth by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he could say that his apostleship was from Christ. It was not from a man. The same way our divine service is what it is, divine, from God, not from men. What is expected of us, like he said, he said, therefore, I was not um, disobedient to the heavenly vision. What's expected of us is not to be disobedient to what God wants us to do, but rather to be obedient. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 to 12, we read again concerning this matter of spiritual gifts and how it operates. We see that it is divine. You cannot on your own just force it to happen which is where many people are getting it wrong. You just do what God wants you to do. The Bible says science and that uh, science were following the people who, 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 to whom the gospel was preached as the people preached. They did not have to walk or, or sweat it out to make things happen. Things just happened. This whole penchant of you must testify, otherwise you will lose your testimony, is not of God, it is of men. Men are the ones, they are just looking for membership to say, because something is happening in this church, so let's get more members. That's all. That's all those testimonies are. It is not about the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, reading from verse 1, the Bible says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols. However, you were led. This was how they started. They were led by, by men who claimed that uh, somebody had spoken to them and they should go and, and they continue to do it. But Paul is saying, I don't want you to be ignorant of spiritual gifts. So don't get caught up with somebody who says he's manifesting spiritual gifts that is not by God. In verse 3 it says, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Christ, calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, this particular passage of scripture is deeper than this superficial uh, thing that we probably are reading. How do you call Jesus accursed? You call Jesus accursed when you are doing something that is contrary to him. You don't accept him as Lord when you do something contrary to him. So it's important that we understand this. A Lord, there are many things that we are missing in our generation because of democracy, because of the way we, the freedoms that we are looking for. Of course, we know that men have abused many things, but in the olden days, a Lord, and even today, a Lord, as used by the Bible, is one that you cannot refuse. When a Lord makes a statement, you don't debate with the Lord. You just carry out the instructions of a Lord. So that's what he's saying. You cannot say that you are doing the work of God when you are debating with God. You cannot say you are doing the word of God, you are, you are doing the work of God when you are not obedient to God. In verse 4. It says, there are diversities of gifts. That is, there are many di different gifts. But the same Spirit, there may be different giftings, but it's the same Holy Spirit. In verse 5, it says, there are differences of ministries or ways by which we serve, but it's the same Lord that we are serving. It's the same Lord who has given that power for us to serve. In verse 6, it says, and there are diversities of activities, different ways by which these spiritual gifts and these ministries can be, can be performed, but it's the same God who works all in all. It's the same God who is doing his work using spiritual gifts. So the fact that you have spiritual gifts and God is not involved in it is just an abuse of the gift and so you are using it not for God but for Satan. That's basically what it is. 
So the fact that you have a spiritual gift is not all. You have been given a gift by God to serve God in the way God wants him, uh, the way God wants that gift to be used for his own purpose. There are times when God will tell you not to pray for somebody. It doesn't mean that you have to now think that you must pray. No. There are times when God says to you, just speak a word. You speak a word and you go get out of the place. You don't need to hyperventilate trying to pray so that people will say that, yes, you are serving God. No, God's way is different from our own way. Another important thing that we need to note about divine service is that it does not only apply to pulpit ministry. This is important. But also to those who are not in the pulpit. Many people think, and this is a very erroneous thing, and we're going to spend quite some time here because we need to refute it. You are not only serving God when you're in the pulpit. And now some people will also assume that when we say we are not in the pulpit, they think that it's been an usher or counting money or parking cars. Those are things that you do in the house of God, yes. But that is not divine service. Divine service can be pulpit ministry and it can be outside the pulpit as in what we call the secular, the world, day-to-day -day living, day-to-day -day activity. And there are many examples in scripture. In uh, Psalm 105, Psalm 105, reading from verse 16, Psalm 105, reading from verse 16, uh, I'll just read and stop somewhere, is about Joseph as documented in the Bible. Moreover, he, that is God, called for a famine in the land. He destroyed all the provision of bread. Now, the famine that came to Egypt, which was revealed to Pharaoh in a dream, even though he didn't understand it, and Joseph had to come and give interpretation, was a famine that God had called. You will if you follow the scriptures, you will recall that in Genesis chapter 15, when God entered into a covenant with Abraham, he had told Abraham, he said, I want you to know of a certainty, of a surety, that your descendants will be foreigners, will be strangers in, a strange, in, in another land, and they will be there for about 400 years or so. They will be ill-treated, but I will bring them out myself. So we find here God now putting in play that plan that he had told Abraham years before. In fact, it must have been maybe about 100 years or so before. I can't really get out the dates, but quite a number of decades before this time. Now God is about to put that plan into, into effect. In verse 17 it says, He sent a man before them. Joseph, who was sold as a slave. This was how Joseph went into Egypt, as a slave. Let me tell you something. You see, the, the fact that Joseph's brothers hated him, when you look at that story, you will, if, you, if, you, if you are somebody who is quick to be embittered, you will miss it. But God needed for Joseph to be hated to the point that he will, the brothers will feel justified selling him as a slave. And that's what happened. So they sold him as a slave. It was divinely orchestrated. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was held, he was laid in irons. Both what the Ishmaelites did to him and what was done to him by Potiphar in putting him in prison was divinely orchestrated. Indeed, he needed to meet with that chief um, uh, butler in the prison. So it was all orchestrated. When Pharaoh was sending those men to prison, little did he know that he was actually sending those men to have a meeting, at least one of them to have a meeting with Joseph. And the man left the prison and promptly forgot about Joseph. I don't know how you would have forgotten such a thing. Somebody who, who, who prophesied that you'd be released, but you forgot. All in divine orchestration. Two years later, when Pharaoh had his dream, Joseph was now released. All orchestrated. In verse 
19 says, until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. We've discussed this when we're looking at um, pre-engagement examination. Between when you are going through what you are going through and when God will finally put you in service, there are many things that you are going to go through. The only thing that will make you uh, excel in those things is the word of God. Is the word of God that will make you excel before? Is the word of God will make you excel during? Is the word of God that will make you excel afterwards? So the word of God is vital. It's not something we read just to make pastor happy that I read the Bible. No. It's not the, the, what you read to make yourself happy that I've read the Bible. No. It is because God is going to speak to you through the word and is going to tell you some important things that will help you along your Christian walk. In verse 20 it says, The king sent and released him. The ruler of the people let him go free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions to bind his princes at his pleasure and teach his elders wisdom. Israel also came into Egypt. You see the plan. Israel also came into Egypt and Jacob dwelt in the land of Ham. He increased his people greatly and made them stranger, and made them stronger rather than their enemies. Let's 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 stop there. So Joseph was serving God when he went to Egypt. Now he probably didn't know it, but he was serving God when he went, when he was taken into Egypt. The same thing with Daniel in Babylon and Persia. The Bible tells us in Daniel chapter one verse twenty-one that Daniel continued to serve even unto uh, the, the the time of the Persians, but. One of the important things I want us to look at is in Daniel chapter 3, the, the matter of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were made high officials in Nebuchadnezzar's cabinet. And Nebuchadnezzar had built this idol, uh, this massive uh, image, and told people to bow when they heard the sound of the sackbot and the things and so on and so forth. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego purposed in their hearts that they were not going to bow to this idol. And as a result, Nebuchadnezzar called them and said, you are not going to bow to my idol now. Let me tell you something. You are working for me. If you don't, it's not that I'm going to sack you. I'm going to throw you into that, inside that hurt furnace. And they said to him, oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, we're not careful to answer you on this matter. We want you to know that we serve a God who will deliver us. And even if he doesn't want to deliver us, we want you to know that we are not going to do what you ask us to do. And they threw these men into the fire. And the Bible records that Nebuchadnezzar looked and saw that one of that. They threw three people in there, but he was seen a fourth person. And he himself testified that the fourth person was like unto the Son of God. The people they threw into the fire were walking about in the fire. The cords that were used in binding them were loose. The, the coats were still on, on them. They, they, they were not, they, by the time they came forth out of the fire, the Bible records that no smell of fire was on their coats. They were divinely protected. We are not seeing many of these things today because... We are, not, we are not living for God. We are living for ourselves. We are listening to, living to please ourselves. We cannot endure hardship. We cannot endure hunger. We cannot endure thirst. We cannot endure anything in our generation. And so we can't see the kind of things that we read in the Bible. In Daniel chapter 3, I'm just going to read the outcome of, the, of, of their lifestyle in, in Babylon. And the impact that is that it made on Nebuchadnezzar and the people. Daniel chapter 3, 29 and 30. This was after they came out and everything. Nebuchadnezzar now makes a decree. He says, Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made an ash heap, because there is no other God who can deliver like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego 
in the province of Babylon. You go to our churches today, you hear people decreeing promotion. But the man that they are decreeing promotion on is not even serving God. He's not even loyal to God. His heart is not about God. It's just about himself. The promotion is for himself. That's all. It's not about, uh, uh, what's the word now? It's not about bringing glory or honor to God. No. These boys, these three Hebrew boys, brought glory and honor to God. They were willing to go into the fire. Many of us are not willing to lose our jobs. That is why we think that divine service is only in the pulpit. I see so many people, particularly those who are engaged in part-time service, that is, the, 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 the pastor churches part-time, the pastor churches on Sundays, and then they work from Monday to uh, Friday at their secular uh, employment. The only time they think they are serving God is when they are standing behind the pulpit. When they are in their private offices, the kind of embarrassing things that they do, you, you'll, be, you'll be shocked. I mean, we, we, we saw one recently, the BBC uh, documentary on sex for grades in Nigerian universities. The first, the first fellow was he happened to be a pastor of a church, a pastor of a local church. He, 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 didn't, he, 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 he was able to, to remove himself from church put himself in the, in the lecturer's office and commit the kind of crimes that he was committing. Yet, he is supposed to have served God even in that place. He was, he was actually leading somebody to Christ and the same person was leading to Christ he wants to have sex with. What of Nehemiah? The Bible tells us of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a, a cup bearer, one who brought wine to the king. But even though he was in Shushan, the, 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 the capital of the then world, he, was still, he still had his thoughts on his nation, Israel, in, 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 in spite of the fact that he was a politically well-collected man, socially active, and so on and so forth, he had a concern for the people of God. And I'm asking this question today, how many of us are really concerned about the work of God? We find people who are in church, they, we see them as people who are serving God, but put them in government and they come up with policies that are contrary to the word of God. They, are, they fail to realize that they are supposed to be there as a testimonial, as a testimony to the God that they claim to be serving. But they get in there and they do whatever they want to do. A lot of people are corrupt who say they are Christians. They are corrupt. I'm not interested in any other person. I'm interested in those people who say they are Christians. In whatever level, at whatever level of governance you find yourself, why do you have to be corrupt? Even in the private sector, people say that they are pastors. And yet, when you see the kind of things they are doing, you, you, you'll be wondering, of what church? Who made this fellow a pastor? People are doing all kinds of crazy things. I don't even want to mention them. But Nehemiah here was so concerned. The Bible says that he prayed and he fasted. He fasted to the point that his boss, the king, noticed. And that would have been very dangerous for him. Because for the king to see him of a, of a sad countenance when he's bringing wine, number one, could, could generate uh, uh, suspicion that he had poisoned the wine, that he had poisoned the cup, or that he had evil intents. So you had, to, you had to have a different ambience around the king. But when that happened, Nehemiah had to tell the king, it is because of my people back home. That's why I'm like this. I'm concerned. And the king said, okay, what do you want me to do? He said he quickly slipped in the prayer. And the king said, go ahead. In that assignment, Nehemiah was eventually made, after he had built the wall, 52 days he returned. Then he was sent back there as governor of the place. Many of us want to be governor, but we don't want to do that world-building work. We don't want to do the fasting. We don't want to do the praying. We don't want to do the repenting. We don't want to do the intercession, but we want to sit as governor. That is why we have the kind of Christianity that we have today. 
Where people just want to eat without working. Where people just want to be promoted without engaging in anything whatsoever. Where people think that divine service is about enjoyment. The Bible tells us that godliness uh, uh, with contentment is great gain. Some people think that godliness is meant for gain. So they, 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 they want to use the, the God to be a form of gain. No. The secular, what, what we call the secular, is not to be removed from the service of God. You are in the secular, if you are a Christian and you are in the secular, whether you are a CEO or you are a gate man or you are a taxi driver, whatever you are, in that place, you are called to serve God. That is your divine service. It's not until you come to, to, to church on Sunday and carry offering basket that you are serving God. No, you are serving God wherever you are. What is your testimony in the local assembly where you are? What's your testimony? In John chapter 19, John chapter 19, verse 38 to 42. John chapter 19, uh, verse 38 to 42. We read about what happened after the Lord Jesus Christ had been crucified and had died. John chapter 19, 38 to 42. It says, after this, this was after the Lord has been confounded, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Joseph, uh, body of Jesus rather, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, many of us remember Nicodemus from John chapter 3, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen and uh, with the spices as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So there they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day, for the tomb was nearby. Actually, that was Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. Joseph of Arimathea was a wealthy man in, 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 pub, in private service. But when it mattered the most, he came and served. He brought down the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nicodemus, who had come to the Lord, who was questioning, and from, from, from that discussion we got the issue of being born again, was also there performing their service in bringing the body down and putting it in a tomb and burying the Lord Jesus Christ, not allowing him to rot on the cross. They played their roles. They had their own place in, 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 the, in the scheme of things that, the Lord, that, that God had in place. If you read Isaiah, Isaiah, I think Isaiah 53, he talked there about how he was, even though he died amongst criminals, he was buried amongst the rich. He was buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, which was that of a rich person. So all of what we are seeing was already orchestrated. But who was going to be the one that would be used? Would that person be ready? Would that person be available? Would that person be obedient to God? Would that person be willing to serve? That was the issue. And here we found these people. Joseph of Arimathea, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus doing their own role. Then there's a very interesting case. The, the, the case of Naaman's uh, handmaid in 2 Kings chapter 5. This girl was a little girl from Israel. She was captured during one of the Syrian raids. The parents of this girl would have been weeping and be wondering, oh, they've taken my children. They've taken my daughter. Oh, government, bring them back like we do, like we're doing right now. 
with, with the girls in the northeast. It's pathetic, but some of these things, you have to understand the will of God in all of this. You have to understand the will of God in all of this. This girl was taken away from her family. Nobody, nobody was interested in whether a girl had been removed or not. But this girl in Naaman's house did more in Syria than many other people would have done today. In the, in the, in the house of Naaman, one day she was, as she was walking, she noticed that this big ogre that I'm working for is a leper. And she told the madam, she told her madam, madam, there is a, there is a prophet in Israel. If this ogre will go and see that prophet in Israel, he will be cured. How does a little girl know that a prophet would be able to cure leprosy? No, but no leper had been cured up till that time. But this was a vessel of God in the house of Syria. Many of us are vessels of God in the house of sinners. The sinner and the leper, scripturally speaking, they are the same. And you see sinners and you cannot tell them that if you can only go to Christ, you will be saved. No. Instead, we are joining the sinners to sin even greater than the sinners. You see a policeman who says he's a Christian. He is the one at the head of the bribe collecting syndicate of the policemen on the main road. You see somebody who says he's a military officer. He's a, he's, he, he's, he's, a, he's a Christian. He's the one at the head of trying to lead a military coup. What is going on? What kind of Christianity are we practicing? What kind of Christianity are we being taught? A Christianity of you must be high, you must be mighty, one that does not require you to serve. Then, of course, we have the, the case of Mary Magdalene. There are so many, so many people who served God outside of the pulpit. Mary Magdalene has the, 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 the honor, the special honor of being the first person to see the risen Lord. A woman to see the risen Lord, the first person, the first evangelist to go out and propagate the good news of the rising from the dead of the Lord Jesus Christ to his own disciples. When you read that story, she went there and discovered that the tomb was empty. She ran and told Peter and, and, and John. When they ran to the tomb, they, they discovered that it was empty. They left. They said, it's true, it's empty. We don't know where the body is. If that was the end of it, we are finished. Till tomorrow, would all of, all of us who say we are Christians will be archaeologists searching for the bones of the Lord Jesus Christ. She stayed back and began to wonder and began to weep. She, even when she saw the Lord, she thought it was the gardener said, tell me where you have hidden his remains. Let me go and take it. A woman. She had a heart to serve God. And God revealed himself to her. Brethren, the role of pulpit ministry, indeed, is to teach the believers in Christ to be of service to God. Let's read Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. You see this America wonder that some people are doing in the pulpit. It's not the, it's, that is not, that's not what God called them to do. That's not what the pulpit is meant for. Hmm? All this calling of people and raising money and doing all kinds of crazy things, that's not the work of God. Let me tell you that. If you have not, if you've not heard it before, hear it from me today. That is not the work of God. I tell you the truth. It's not the work of God. Ephesians chapter 4, from verse 11 to 16. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. This is why you were called into pulpit ministry. For the equipping of the saints so that they can do the work of ministry, the work of serving God, to teach them the word of God. 
to bring them to the place where they understand that even in that secular, they are there to serve God. That there is no dichotomy between your life in church, your life in your house, and your life at work. It is one congruent life. Who you are in church is who you are, is who you should be in your house, is who you should be at work. We have people who are saints at church, but they are Satan at work and demons in, the, in, in, in their homes. You see the woman who is the head of prayer ministry in the church, disobedient to her husband at home, brutal to her employees at work. And that person will tell you that I'm serving God. You are not. The work of the pulpit ministry, or the pulpit minister if you want, is to, is to teach people, to prepare them, to get them to understand that being a Christian does not mean that you should resign from your job. But that in that job, God wants you to do something. Of course, it is possible that God wants you to resign and do something else as possible. But the important thing is that God wants you to serve him wherever you are. In verse 13, it says, that is, they will do these things till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We are to be edified, we are to be built up to the place where every one of us believe the same thing as the word of God wants us to believe. This church doctrine that is different from the scriptures is wrong, totally wrong. In verse 14, it says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Why is it that we are not teaching people the word of God? Because we want to later trick them into giving us money. That is all. You cannot teach somebody the truth and then turn around and ask him for money. He will listen to you. So we keep them impoverished and bereft of knowledge of scripture so that we can tomorrow come back and tell them what is wrong and justify it to ourselves. I see the, the cannibalization of scripture on television. And I'm amazed at how people are gobbling what you see people sitting down there listening to them and gobbling it up. There was one I, I saw on social media of a fellow who had a girlfriend in South Africa, a pastor. His girlfriend was a prophet or prophetess or whatever they call them. He has a wife and he's there talking to his church, telling them that this is what happened. Something happened some time ago. He didn't even give details. And that he had told his wife that the, that the wife has been giving him stress over the matter. That the next time he hears it, he's going to divorce her. And the church said, ha ah, ha. And he said, let somebody shout fire. I said, is this my crazy? Is that repentance? But of course, he's not a pastor. You can call him pastor. But God doesn't see him as a pastor. God just sees him as a crazy fellow who has gathered some people together. And they think they are doing church. They are not doing church. It's just a cult. So let's be careful what we call church. This is the role. To make sure that we don't run after every wind of doctrine. The doctrine that we are interested in is the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ. That salvation is by grace. And this grace must not be disgraced. This grace is not something that you just treat with levity. This grace of God that has appeared to all men, it teaches us that we should deny ungodliness and worldliness. It doesn't teach us to continue with ungodliness and worldliness. It says denying it and that we should live soberly godly and righteously in this present world and that we should be expectant, hoping for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what the grace of God teaches. We need to speak to those whom God has called to the church. That is why the church is there. It's a family. 
and we encourage say, yes, you have been called by God to be served so that you can serve him, brother. In this place, we are called to teach you about God, to teach you the knowledge of God, so that when God is going to speak to you, you will hear him. This was the problem in the days of little Samuel. The Bible says that there was a scarcity of the word of God. So even when God called Samuel, he didn't know he thought it was Eli calling him. There are many people who are being called by God today. They think it's their pastor that is calling them. No, it's God. They think the pastor is calling them to come and start a church. That's not it. God is calling you to serve him where you are. Verse 15. It says, but speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, that is Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. All of this is saying, each one of us, we have a role to play. As you are doing your own work in the secular, I'm doing my own work in the pulpit, somebody else is doing his own work, different things. Do you know that writing is part of the ministry work that God has? Some people are called to write the word of God. Not just to write for profit, but to write messages. The preaching of the, of the message is not for the selling of CDs. Oh, you can, by all means, you can charge your production cost. Maybe a little token for the fellow who is selling, that's okay. But it is not for profit. The schools that we are building and charging exorbitant amounts of money is not for that purpose. Unless we don't understand what God is asking us to do. Many of us today who are in our late 50s and, 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 and above, we went to schools built by missionaries where what, they, what our parents paid was but a token. They were supported by the church. And I'm asking the church today, all these huge monies that come in, what are you using them for? How are you impacting the lives of people? May the Lord help us to understand that there's, a, there's, there's the, the ministry in the pulpit of the apostle, of the prophet, of the evangelist, of the pastor, who is also a teacher, is to raise men and women who will fear God wherever they are and who will serve God wherever they are. It is not about saying you will be head and you will not be tail. No, sometimes you can start as tail. You will rise up to be head. But what God wants you to understand is that in your growth, in your growth pattern, that you are growing unto God and that you are useful to the body. The body is the, the, the believers who are scattered all over the face of the world. But because of the way we are misrepresenting God, the Bible says, in, as in Romans chapter 2, verse 24, I think that, that it is, that's what it is, that because of us, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, 14, 15, and 16, you are the salt of the earth. You are called to be the salt of the earth. In that place, in that office, where they are collecting bribe, you be salt. Bring seasoning to it. Salt has a way of killing worms. The worms of corruption must be killed by those who are salt. You must not go there and be engaging in it. The Bible says, if salt has lost its savor, what else is there to be done with it? You throw it outside and men trample it over on, 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 on their feet. That is why Christians today are being trampled. Because they are not seasoning to anybody. He says, you are light. You were lighted by the Lord Jesus Christ. Nobody lights a candle and puts it under a bed or covers it with something. You light a candle and place it in the dark rooms so that it can give light. 
You are in that dark place, not to join them. You are there to shine the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is your ministry. You are involved in divine service in that place. You are not to go there and be collecting bribe. Check every facet of activity in the secular, in, in, even in the church, any part of the world where you find Christians. God will put you where there is darkness. Why? Because you are light. Why, does God, why would God put you where there is light? You, you, have, you have no value to anybody there. But where you are needed is where there is darkness. So God puts you there so that you can be light. Not to be swallowed up by darkness. The Bible says in John chapter 1 verse 4 and 5. It says in him that is in Lord Jesus Christ was light. There was life. And that life is the light of men. That light shines in darkness. And darkness cannot comprehend it. Cannot envelop it. Cannot conquer it. Cannot overcome it. You are called as light to throw light in the place of darkness. To reveal what is going wrong in, in, in any of those places. The Bible says arise. Shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Shine in that place of darkness, so that men can come to you and say, what is the hope of your calling? What is this hope that you have? Like Nebuchadnezzar, seeing the light that shed out Mishael Abednego where he began to say, this God is God. Can we have that being said in our various offices? I heard a story once, many, many years ago, of a Muslim speaking to his uh, Christian friend. He said, I hear my friend that... Your Jesus can raise the dead. That your Jesus can heal the sick. That your Jesus can cast out demons. The guy said, wow, you must have been to church over the weekend. The guy asked him, is it true? He said, yes. He said, I don't believe it. He said, what do you mean you don't believe it after you said it? He said, because if it were true, you would not keep quiet in this office. You will be telling everybody. And that's a challenge. If we believe it, then the question is, are you convinced about the truth, the veracity of the word of God? If you are convinced, you can keep quiet. You cannot be convinced that Jesus saves and you keep quiet. You can't. It's not possible. Your convictions will drive you. The truth of the matter is that we don't have that conviction. If we did, we would be disturbing people everywhere. Not in a bad way. But when the opportunity appears, we'll tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ. The most important thing in divine service is that we do the will of God. Remember, it is the will of God, not just what we want to do. And this means that we are where God wants us to be, locationally. We are where God wants us to be. Whether you are in the village, you are in the city, you are in a third world country, you are in a first world country, you are the United Nations, or you are in a, in a, in a, in a hut somewhere, are you where God wants you to be? Are you in prison because God wants you to be there? That is okay. It also means that we are doing what God wants us to do, and that we are doing it how God wants us to do. That's how God wants us to do it. And that all that is required of us by God is done in the power of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, the Bible says, And you shall have power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses on me, or, or unto me in, uh, in, in, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in uh, Samaria, and to the ends of the whole earth. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. I've said this before. It is for employment. It's not for enjoyment. We are to serve God by the Spirit of God. Divine service is the initiative of God. Ours is to make ourselves available to him for when we are needed. The Bible talks of Elisha, who was willing to call it quits with his business. And he actually packed up the business and went and served Elijah. The Bible says in 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 11, that Elisha was one that poured water 
on the hands of Elijah. That means he was a servant to Elijah. Imagine a prosperous businessman going to pour water on the hands of somebody that had the character of Elijah. Someone who was, who was not well dressed. Someone who, who ate honey and, 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 and locusts for his meals. But he went and served. One of the crucial things with divine service is that you must first serve someone else. In Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 16, Luke chapter 16, I believe it's verse 10 to 13, Luke 16, Luke chapter 16, verse 10 through to verse 13. <clears throat> this is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking. He said, he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you, to your trust, the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. What is the Lord Jesus Christ saying here? He's saying, look, in all that you are doing, what God requires of you is your faithfulness to him, whether it is small or it is large. Whether you are, you are, you are called to be a house fellowship leader of two or three people, or you are a pastor of a thousand, are you faithful in the little? The little that you have been called to do, that you are faithful in, is what will enable God to say, let's give him something more to do. But are you faithful? He says, if you are not faithful in our righteous mammon, those police officers, those policemen, those customs officers, immigration officers, who, are who say they are Christians and are collecting bribe, what do you think will happen when they make you controller general? And that's where you say you want to go to. They will sack you before that time because you will embarrass God. That is the truth. It's not a curse. You will be fired before that time because you have not been faithful even in unrighteous mammon. And then you want God to commit to you true riches. How? 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 And then it says, if you have not been faithful in what, what is another man's own, who will commit to you your own? I see people working in other people's offices. They are going late. They are cheating. They are stealing. They are doing all kinds of They say they are Christians. Then when they finally get to a point, they say, now I'm, I'm, I'm blowing this joint. I'm going to start my own business. And you think people will not steal from you. They will. You think your business will not crumble. It will. God requires your faithfulness. In small things, faithfulness. One of the crucial aspects of divine service is that a man be found faithful. I think the Bible tells us that in first, I think that's first Corinthians chapter four. Let me let me let me search and, and read it. it says, Moreover, it is expected in stewards. First Corinthians chapter four. Yes, let me read from verse one. It says, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards. That one be found faithful. Are you faithful? Are you faithful? Even in the little, little things that God has given you to do. Today you find people who say they are, they are, they are even workers in the church. They are not faithful. Ushers are stealing money. We now have people who say they are parking cars involved in robbery, car robbery gangs. They are stealing those cars under their noses. And they are part of the, they are part of the gang. And they come to church and say they are, they are, they are, they are, they are church workers. Let me tell you something. When you come to serve God, you must be ready to forsake all in order to serve God. 
When I say all, I mean forsake your old life. That life of, of stealing, that life of crime must be completely wiped out. You must die to the flesh. The crucifixion of Christ, if indeed you were in Christ, you were crucified with him, you were dead with him. And when he was raised up, you were raised up with him to a newness of life. That is why the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things, all things have become new. Your ambition is now past. You have a new, a new mission. You wanted to be president of Nigeria. It ended the day you got born again. God has a new mission for you. That is the simple truth. There's no need for us to be making all this as if that, that is, is going to help you and whatever. No, the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 5, how the Lord Jesus Christ entered into the boat of Peter after the, the miracle of the fishes and so on, and they caught such a large net of fish and whatever. The Bible says they forsook all. The, the fish they caught, they left it there and they followed it. A time will come when God will tell you, drop everything you are doing and come follow me. Finally, I want to say this. That there are no two services that are the same. No two services are the same. For example, God called Peter. Yes, not just to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. However, God had a separate mission for Paul. Paul was called specifically to the Gentiles. After a while, it was ameliorated. Peter to the Jews. Paul to the Gentiles. They had two different things to do. And they did it without rubbing against one another. Acts chapter... Um, let me read, let me read Galatians first. Galatians chapter 2, Galatians chapter 2, verse 7 to 9. Galatians chapter 2, verse 7 to 9. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me, as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the gentiles and when james Cephas, and john that is peter Cephas is peter and john who seemed to be pillars perceived the grace that had been given to me they gave me and barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the gentiles and they to the circumcised it's the same work of preaching the gospel but then they were to two different groups of people this Thing that we are that we are seeing today in 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 especially in this country nigeria is is absurd where you go to one building and you can find five six ten different churches in one building meeting at the same time on a sunday and something doesn't tell us that we are doing what is wrong that's not divine service if you saw a church there and you went looking for space and you didn't and they said there's a church there leave the place alone but no I don't know what is wrong with our spiritual fathers. Why they cannot bring order in the house of God. But these are the same people who want order in the government. But in their own homes, there's disorder. There's anarchy. People are doing as they like. But they want order in the house of God. I can't understand what is going on. I really cannot understand. But I pray that the Almighty God will help us. In Acts chapter 13, verse 46. Acts 13, verse 46. Bible talked about, said, then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, that is to the Jews, but since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. The truth of the matter is that God had called Paul to the Gentiles, but his care, his concern for the Jews 
made him to always seek the Jews. But then he realized that, well, I'm just wasting my time with these people. And he went and did what God wanted him to do. And I'm saying to you today, I'm counseling with you today. I'm pleading with you today. I'm imploring you. Understand where you are now. And recognize that you are to serve God in that place. You are salt. You are light. Manifest as such in those places. Don't be part of the corruption. Don't be part of the sin. To hear that a Christian is involved in sexual harassment is a shame. To hear that a Christian is involved in, in oppression, in oppressing people, is a shame. To hear that a Christian is involved in some of the things, crazy things that we hear around, is, is, is indeed a, an aberration. I'm praying that the Almighty God will help us, even as we, as we say that we are believers, and as we determine to serve God. It's my prayer that the Almighty God will help us to serve Him, and that as we also meditate on the Word of God, we will come to realize that God has called us to be of service to him. My prayer is that when next we meet, the Almighty God would have spoken clearly to your heart and touched you. God bless you and goodbye.